Namaste. Today we are with Gautam, who is a spiritual publisher, and he's had a background in advertising as well for many decades. And uh, I would like to interview you, Gautam, on your spiritual journey and your working journey, and how they sort of have, you know, intertwined into each other. Yes. And I feel it will offer devotees a very unique perspective because from the vantage point Gautam has had, you have met many masters, you have met many uh, teachers, you have met many devotees. And, uh, you know, working, uh, having a busy work life with your responsibilities, amidst all of that, you know, living the teaching. Uh, so, I feel this would be a very unique thing if we can probe into it, so devotees can get certain things from it. Yes, very true, Nick, because my own teacher would say that work is a beautiful space to practice spiritual teachings. Because you deal with all sorts of people. We had to deal with suppliers, clients, uh, colleagues at work, seniors, juniors. And uh, it's fascinating, you know, because everything is about relationships and getting along with people and getting work done. And uh, you can see how deep a spiritual teaching is absorbed in you only when you are out there in the world and not sitting in a cave. So yes, it has been a tremendous journey, a tremendous gift and one I would love to share because of all that I have learned from it. And many instances, many incidents might come up which, you know, have different aspects of learning to them. And I will never forget Sri Aurobindo's words. You see, he said that regarding Karma Yoga, meditation is all fine because that's an internal journey. But what about meditation in daily living when you're dealing with people, when you're dealing with work, that is also meditation. You cannot exclude the external. It is as relevant, if not more, than the internal. Why? Because every relationship is a reflection of yourself, ultimately. You see? So yes, it has been fascinating. And uh, my journey began actually from the shift from advertising to publishing. And I clearly remember when that happened was, my mother had written not rather written, but had drawn her spiritual experiences of awakening. And we wanted to share it with people who were going through similar experiences. It was like a roadmap of Kundalini awakening and lot of books are there on the subject, but this was a visual journey because she saw the process of awakening. So that is when the thought came that we should bring this out as a book and we went to various publishers. And many of them liked the book, but given that the drawings were in color, they asked us, please give us the money to publish it. So then I thought to myself that I have an ad agency and we've been doing brochures for our clients, color brochures, so it must be similar. So rather than give someone else the money, let us do it ourselves, which we did and which turned out to be quite a big blunder, if I may say, because it was a different ball game. Yes. You see, printing a book was very different from a brochure. Yes. And we didn't have that knowledge. Correct. 
so we were also taken advantage of in the process we were not we were charged a higher fees for various activities related to that when the book was ready and we went to bookstores especially the more premium bookstores they loved it because it was a color production it was well presented and highly priced so they kept 5 5 copies and uh, i remember i went to one distributor and he said are are beta you know ek copy se kuch nahi hoga when you have 100 titles you come back to us so i was very discouraged the bookstores which took the books called us and said send us five more copies because those five copies sold i was very grateful to god and i said all right but can you give me the money for the first five copies and that money never came okay you see so there were various challenges yes but it convinced me that i would not do publishing again <laughs> because it was so difficult yes but then one thing led to another and we started publishing more books and there were various learnings here one was why did i continue despite it being so hard one day while the advertising business was still there i was walking past the office reception and one elderly lady had come in with a big cake and i overheard her conversation with the receptionist and she told my receptionist she said that so and so book changed my life the author seems to be a foreigner i don't know where he stays i found this address on the book and i have come to say thank you when i saw that i was very moved because i said that if one person's life can change and the person is so moved that she comes with a cake finds her address says thank you i said in my advertising business if a client was happy they didn't say thank you they just paid your bills on time that was it there was nothing beyond that so i remember when i told uh, once when i met ekhart i think it was in 99 or 2000 and i said you know ekhart the advertising business is losing its grip on me he gave me a two word reply he said thank god <laughs> because it was all about selling products to people which they don't need having them identify with objects and aspiring advertising has its valid role no doubt but it was something i was not resonating with anymore yeah you see so that is how the journey began you were also blessed by a master i think it was gagangiri maharaj who blessed you that you must do this work the spiritual publishing yes because when he saw my mother's work which i'm coming back to simply because it was the first book yeah. he made it clear that this had to be shared and it had to be done okay. and he said you do it so i kind of felt that you know this is meant to be so very early on times of india was doing a big piece on uh, spiritual business so they called me for a telephonic interview so the lady asked me she said can you tell me what is your business plan so i let out a laugh and i said only god knows so she said excuse me I said I don't have a business plan. She was shocked. You don't have a business plan? I said I really don't. Things have just happened this way and I'm going to follow it and see the course it takes. So she was not that interview didn't happen because there was no material to print, you see. But 
I truly believe that what is meant to happen will happen. What is not meant to happen won't happen. So through this journey of spiritual book publishing, as you said, I met beautiful masters. I met those who were not masters, who claimed to be masters, and it enriched my journey. It was really uh, through this business, I got closer to my own spiritual teacher because I helped him in editing and publishing his books. And his books were not as popular as, let's say, Eckhart's books, some of which we have published. So I would tell him that thanks to Eckhart's books, we can publish yours. <laughs> you see, everything is so connected. True, true. Everything is connected. Mm. So it has been a fascinating experience. You've also had uh, quite a few ups and downs. Like, you know, you had mentioned once uh, in your advertising days, someone had refused to pay you and you were forced almost to sit in their office and read a book there for the whole day till they could make that payment. Yes, you see, that was actually a very interesting episode. A big advertising client was not paying us and we needed the money. Now, I was all of 22 or 23. I had a staff of 30 and all of them were older than me. So I was really in a spot all around. And being the quiet type, I could not go and barge in and ask for my money. So what I decided to do was take the fattest book on my bookshelf. At that time, I was reading Robert Ludlum or something. So I picked up his fattest book, which I had read. I said, but they should know that I'm serious. So I went to their reception, met the secretary and I said, look, this money is owed to me. I will not survive without it. So I'm going to sit here till I get the money. So the owners of the business didn't come out of their cabins to see me. For the first day, I sat morning to evening reading my book. Second day, they must have taken pity or felt bad because I sat there, they offered me tea and all I must say. But somehow it worked. They said, look, it's very embarrassing for us to see you sit here. The staff wonders what you are doing. <laughs> so, uh, you know, we'll give you your money. And I said, I won't leave till at least a part payment is made. So like that, the money came out. Yes. But I realized that what was in my capacity to do, I could do only that. Correct. You know, I knew deep down that I would not get this money because my nature was not to force it out yeah. or pull it out. But thankfully it came. Yeah. But I was not so fortunate elsewhere. Yeah. The advertising agency eventually folded because we had a huge bad debt. Yes. That money didn't come. And we had a general manager who was in cahoots with this client and who also ran away with money and did things on the side which should not have been done. So that was also meant to happen. That closed down the ad business. People told me that, you know, put a case on him, fight in the courts. The lawyer said, you must go to court. This is wrong. We can prove it. But I asked myself, and this is what many people don't do. Is it my nature? And the Indian courts means going to court for 20 years. Is it really worth it? Do I have that uh, personality? I don't have that personality. So I decided not to go to court. You know, people said you're escaping. You should not escape like this, that it's your nature and all. But truly, I did feel that it was just not in my nature. And I knew that what was meant to happen happened and destiny would take its course as far as he was concerned.
and I was so grateful that probably after 25 years of that incident, I came across a book, Silence of the Heart by Robert Adams, where Robert Adams said, don't waste your time in courts. I'm not saying this applies for everyone. Yeah. I'm referring to my situation that I did not have the bandwidth. I didn't have the nature. And I felt a comfort level when I read that. Generally on the path, <coughs> one tends to avoid conflict. In fact, even Sai Baba would mention this often that don't get into conflict and argument. That hurts me as well. So it is not that you're escaping events, yes. but where there is confrontation, like for example, uh, this is a very uh, a tendency on the spiritual path as you go inward, you will avoid things where there is confrontation. So this was a good living example in your case. And why? Because it disturbs peace. Two, nothing is as sacredly held in terms of an opinion that it was earlier. So you don't want to engage because conflicts are points of view which are at conflict. Yes. You are no longer attached to your point of view. Yes. So you tend to walk away from conflicts. You know, you don't, you tend to be less involved in drama. Yes. I met a clairvoyant in the UK many years ago. Lovely man. So he said, he said, Gautam, the difference between you and me is, supposing we are walking by a pond, you know, and the pond looks like it could be a nice one and could be a tricky one, you know, murky. He said, I am someone who will just jump in. And you are someone who will say, is it really worth jumping in? <laughs> and you will walk away. It is one's nature. If it is one's nature to avoid conflict, one avoids conflict, you see. So this is something which I have seen pays off huge dividends. Yes. To avoid conflicts yes. does not mean to escape them. Correct. Say what you have to, but to say the same thing hundred times is not needed, which many of us do. You see, so that's what I saw. Thanks to advertising, I had these experiences. Thanks to the business folding up, I realized when things are not meant to be, they are finished. There's no point pointing fingers, accusing people. It was meant to happen. So there were big lessons learned. When we are suffering the process, we don't see it that way. But in retrospect, to even see that is a big gift. And this is what took me along in the journey of book publishing. I'll tell you, many people would criticize masters and say, don't see this one, don't see that one. So the more the criticism, the more I would go. Because I realized it was their point of view. Okay. If I was to be neutral and objective, yes. I must reach my own conclusions. So you see what happens is when people criticize, yes. they get stuck at the level of personality. Everyone has flaws, yes. you see. So one is not looking at that aspect. Okay. One is looking at the bigger picture. What is being offered? Is it of value to people? Yes. You know, so. Correct. You no longer operate on just the dynamic of my personal likes and dislikes. Yes. There may be a master considered very arrogant yes. and he is arrogant. Yes. But if it is clearly seen that that is the aspect of personality, but yet when he speaks about a certain yoga or a certain kriya or whatever it is, and he is brilliant, yes. that is of tremendous value. So one learns to discriminate. 
you know gautam on this you've been a publisher you've met many masters one thing i have also met of not many but a few masters i have felt all of them have ways to even shake devotees up which might be intentional like they may do something which i can't even say it's their personality but sometimes to you know check why the devotee has come or you know to break their ego they may do certain things that will go against the conditioning of the devotee for example i think it was ram baba who had come to meet sai baba and he saw baba having anyan and he said what will i learn from him when he is eating this and baba read his mind and told him only those who can process this they can have it you know and then he was taken aback right so you know uh, the conditioned mind has an idea of a master or what is a master yes. and it wants to see that on the outside right whereas the master can break your idea or concept and do some sort of a leela yeah but i would say is that then not it, it might not be their personality it might just be for that particular case it could be that also yeah. yes. it could very well be that also yeah. we wouldn't know You like know, even Anand Maima used to do the same thing. Yes. Someone with a you know big ego who thinks himself important or herself would come and she'd say, "Oh, go and clean the bathrooms or whatever yes. the utensils yes. are." So <laughs> it's actually very strange how this works. But the point is that you see what we do is we mix up the messenger with the message. Now the teachings are eternal. the teachings have come from ancient times through the scriptures you see so it is the teaching when you receive a letter in the olden days we had the postman coming do you just shake hands with the postman and send him off or did you take the letter and read what was in the letter that is the message you see so what we do is we mix up the personality with the message so that there's a distinction here so i learned that because i met so many masters so many yogis so many psychics so many astrologers it's just it happened you know one was not seeking them it was like that and i saw it was so clear that what what is it that draws me to this person what doesn't draw me there was none of that battle with liking some not liking the other there was one master who loved criticizing my master you know and i felt i was not reacting because i just knew this is the way he was he was critical of all the masters so this is the way he was it has nothing to do with me someone said oh you didn't defend your guru but i didn't feel the need because he's entitled to his point of view what am i going to defend i am not here to change his point of view so let him say what he wants now someone else would have walked away if it was unbearable it was not an unbearable criticism so i was there so it's all very relative you see there's no black and white but what i learned is that generally spiritual egos are far bigger than normal egos i've seen it not only in uh, masters but disciples around them I remember having this discussion with you in person once where many devotees who feel they are ahead on the path want to give advice which is not asked for yes and try and impose their views on others yes maybe while we are at it we can probe into some examples or yeah because they know they think they know what is best 
whereas my teacher would say never give advice unless you ask for it because you don't know what is best you see sometimes it did happen i'll give you a classic example one very big organization in south india many years ago it split right through the middle it split now what happened i was at work and i got a call i got a call from the faction which split up theirs was the first call i received and the lady said you know gautam this has happened and i just thought i'd inform you that we are no longer associated with the master so i said fair enough you must be having your reasons and uh, thank you for calling me so she said yes you know we would just wanted you to know i don't know why me because i had no special thing but maybe they thought being a spiritual book publisher and all that after 2 hours i got a call from the masters faction that this is what has happened you know and they were concerned you know and they asked me what did i think and i said look and this thankfully i learned a big lesson from my auditor when i was 21 my father passed away when i was 14 when i was 21 and had to take charge of the ad agency i was full of fear that how will i a kid be able to handle this and he said look gautam organizations are separate from individuals and individuals are indispensable or not is a matter of destiny but as an auditor i can tell you nobody is indispensable and then he told me to my shock at that time your father died and the ad agency continued in spite of that that proves my point that nobody is indispensable if the organization is meant to go on it will go on and nikhil i found myself saying the same words to this ashram head i said look whatever has happened has happened they may walk away with half the following but if your ashram if your institution is meant to survive it will survive and you will not believe it it is survived and it is flourishing till today and the other faction has come back simple life lessons because nobody is indispensable and back to ramana maharshi's words what is meant to happen will happen so that was a pretty amazing thing for me to see that both sides called me and what i said was common sense you know so that was one of those incidents on the spiritual journey you know that you mentioned that ramana maharshi said what is meant to will happen when i had last met you in bombay you mentioned that once uh, recently the sales tax came to your publishing company or the other company and gave you a big fat bill of like 18 lakhs to pay overnight Yes. For which you had done no wrong. I think the auditor over the years, it was a error which was beyond your control. Yes. And now I was amazed to see your acceptance of the situation, and there was no ill will towards the auditor, and you tried doing what you could. But you know, if you could speak, because I felt that was a very important aspect of the teaching being lived. You see when you have early setbacks in life I tell anyone who has faced loss in life it will take you very far because then the second time you are hit you don't feel the impact that much in this case what happened uh we were not 
calculating the correct sales tax based on our sales tax consultant who obviously misled us unintentionally. He just didn't understand the business. Now, the sales tax department, what they do is they randomly do scrutiny of companies and we came under scrutiny. Now, when they came, they said not that you haven't paid, which you should have paid, but the system, the government system is you are charged interest and penalty also for the past years. So that became a huge amount. Now, of course, it's a, it was for a small company like ours, a huge shock. But I was amazed because this group of officers, they were so nice. I was taken aback. They came into my cabin and they told me, they said, look, we can see when people are evading tax and when they have just filed it wrongly. You know, we can see it on their face when we talk to them. And they felt so bad. I said, look, we didn't know. This is what our sales tax consultant has told us to file. We've been filing. They even fixed a meeting and they called the sales tax consultant to my office and they asked him, what have you done? Because of you, this man is suffering. So I was very moved, you know, and I knew that that money was meant to go. If it was not meant to go, it would not have gone. So my mind did not create a drama and stories about it. You know, do you know what actually happened in spite of this huge loss? The sales tax consulted, consultant sent me his bill. That is human nature and I paid it. That is human nature. So this teaching took me very far. That yes, it hit me hard, the loss, but I did not lose sleep because I knew it was meant to go, how and why and when is irrelevant in the larger scheme of things. And I must say, I've had other beautiful experiences. I've had an experience where once my auditor called me and said, you know, one income tax officer wants to meet you. And I got very scared because meeting means there's some trouble. You've done something wrong in your returns or filing or whatever. And I said, no, no, I don't want to meet. I don't know what to say in front of such people. You please go. He said, we normally go, but somehow he said, I want to meet uh, Gotham. So I said, no, no, nothing doing. After two days, my auditor called me again and he said, look, uh, he really wants to meet you. So I said, I'm not going. So my auditor was in a fix. So he said, okay, I'll <laughs> tell him that. But beyond a point, I don't know also what to do. So then my auditor called me the third time and said, he'll come to your office. I said, I'm in big trouble. Who's heard of income tax officers coming to people's offices like that, you know? And a small organization like ours, I really wondered what could be so wrong. And that man came. My auditor didn't accompany him because he had to fly. So that made me very nervous. That man came, sat in front of me and said, I only wanted to meet you to tell you that when your books came to me, I said, oh, I know Yogi Impressions. I've read so many of their books. So I just wanted to thank you for publishing. You see, and it was a big lesson to me that all these preconceived ideas and notions one comes with, when the reality is completely different. And I had such a beautiful conversation with this man. And it was a terminal illness which had brought him onto the spiritual path. So he was telling me his story. 
and he his parting line was one i will never forget he said all i want is my life to be just a comma i don't want any disturbance beyond that i don't want any shor sharaba any tamasha being noticed being out there i just want my life to be a gentle comma in the middle of a sentence and that really touched me so these are the gifts i was gifted such incidents also which would not have happened in the general course of uh business more so because one was in spiritual book publishing one has so many instances you know uh it's just incredible i remember one book in our early years we were doing one manuscript came which i really liked and i said we'll publish it and then the author turned around and said oh there's another publisher interested in the same manuscript so i said oh bloody hell you know maybe we won't be able to do it i said anyway so i said now it's for you to decide because normally a new author would love to be published now she had two publishers saying yes so then she called and she said i decided to get the book published by you so i said what made you change your mind and be clear that you want us to publish it she said oh i had a dream <laughs> i dreamt that outside the publisher's window is a big tree so she said so she had called me once and asked me is there a tree outside your window and i said yes and i said what a bizarre thing this woman is asking you know and it slipped my mind and at that time in the office i had there was a tree outside my window so this incident proved to me that let's say publishing a book it is pure destiny if it was meant to happen she had to have a vision of a tree outside her publisher's window so it came to me which is no guarantee that the book would sell well by the way that's the other Absolutely. thing you know we yeah. think that wow god has done this yes. uh, leela yes. so this is going to be a best seller right. it was not a best seller yes. all it proved was that we had to publish the book yes. but we think that wow this is a sign of god correct. you know that, that is now the tendency it's going of the mind that to, is what it correct. does and thankfully i've had enough experiences where <laughs> that has not happened but fascinating you see you know i would like to cover that incident what i called the muji tea incident where we were in tiruvannamalai together mm mm-hmm. and uh, this was when i was very new with you as well and we went to muji's satsang and to meet not the satsang we had gone to his home to meet him the first day and they offered us tea mm-hmm. and the second day also we were going i'm not sure if you remember mm mm-hmm. and uh, we all went to one cafe before and we had tea there i said no i don't want because we'll go to muji's like we did yesterday and i'll have tea over there and i remember distinctly you looked at me and you said okay you know it was like that sort of a look and later when we left the place and we were walking we got a call midway and they said today's meeting is cancelled please come tomorrow morning at whatever time and then you told me you said listen look back you had made this assumption and that was a pivotal point however simple it may have seemed where i saw the relativity of thought the assumptive nature of one's thoughts 
and I truly realized I don't know anything, you know. So how can I make an assumption? Right. So it was very simple. Yeah. But it really was very profound. Yes. Yeah. That one should have tea when one is offered it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, talking of this, talking of tea, I have to share with you a leela of Baba's that happened recently on my last trip to Shirdi, which is exactly the tea incident. It's crazy. I had met uh, one of the priests in Shirdi because I was doing a documentary on Baba on the Mahabhaktas. So I needed some footage from the Sanstha for that. So I met him and he connected me with someone. We made an application. So, you know, as a note of thanks, I went to his home to meet him to say thank you. So he asked me, uh, they offered me tea over there. And I said, no, you know, thank you. Please give me water. I've had so much tea in Shirdi. This was my thing that I would not mind two glasses of water, but I would not have tea because I've had it in the day. And him and his wife, they gave me water, but I could feel they felt like, oh, you know, I didn't accept the tea. So while I was leaving, he said, what time do you wake up? I said, I wake up at five in the morning. And uh, he said, tomorrow you come to the temple at the Samadhi Mandir, just stand outside the window where you see Baba's idol, Tell the guard that I am going to meet him, Maharaj. He will let you in. I said, okay. So I went there at six. And as it happened, I met Maharaj. And he took me into the shrine, which I didn't expect. So he took me, cut all the lines, took me to Baba's Samadhi. You know, and it was Guruji's birthday, where we had just published the video, Takar Se Shakar, which was, you know, you go surrender to Baba. Literally bow your head take Takar at Baba's feet and he will turn your life around, leave it to Baba. And I found the whole thing like a Leela unfolding. So it, I, it was the birthday, we published the video, this happened. And then he puts me in the room adjacent to the Samadhi and he says, sit here. So for 30 minutes, I was right in front of Baba and I was quite taken aback. And then before leaving, he comes, gives me a cup of tea right in front of Baba. And he says, yesterday you had not accepted tea. Now is the tea prasad Baba is giving you. And I have a habit not to look into Baba's eyes, you know, when I sit there. And to drink tea, I was forced to look up and Baba was laughing over there. <laughs> and, you know, it just reminded me of this because you said when life offers you tea, accept it. <laughs> <laughs> and I was quite taken aback with that. I said, how Baba pulled me where I was forced in a place to have the tea and at such an angle where then he looks up and laughs yeah, and yeah, it just yeah. was really? this line. When life gives you tea, take it. Yeah. Yeah. Because you may not get it again. Yeah, that is one. And yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's amazing. I remember once we had gone to uh, ashram of... Uh, very big uh, scholar mm. of the Gita and Vedanta and all, you know, and I was quite looking forward to it. Mm. But uh, you see, because I keep pointing at this uh, living the teaching. Yes. So we were, uh, you know, very uh, yes. courteously invited to have lunch with him, yes. me and my friend. Yes. And uh, it was great because all his students were there in the cafeteria and all that. And we were uh, taken to a table where he joined us. Yes. 
and from the start of that lunch to the end of the lunch he was criticizing each and every spiritual teacher in india and there was no asking where are you from what do you do or no sharing of anything of import but a barrage of and i was like even this happens i was so taken aback you know and then you won't believe it a few days later i got a call that he had to have umpteen stitches across his jaw some incident had happened and i was not sure <laughs> whether the two were connected or not yes. possibly they weren't i don't know but it just struck me that even a spiritual teacher of prominence and eminence the whole 45 minutes was talking ill of others now you know you could say was he testing me and all it didn't matter to me you see but i just felt that that was a, the content of our conversation that is what it was meant to be but even that i saw on the spiritual path that this happens and uh, it's amazing because there is criticism abounding you know someone else i met a friend was critical of the big gurus very critical went on and on and on and i just asked her i said you know uh, in the south there are gurus who are no more who've done such tremendous work with setting up hospitals free hospitals for the needy setting up uh, electrification and water in villages and maybe there was a bit of irritation in me or what i said you know if you have done even something like that on a very small scale that's so beautiful rather than just criticizing these masters and all that and that made her even more upset now how dare you tell me this you see because a mind which is critical will not take any form of criticism on itself but is happy to criticize others so i have seen this also you know that uh, there's a lot of this abounding all around and these have been learning points for me that's quite fascinating that we tend to focus on only the negatives we don't focus on the positives you know i think one of the masters i'm not sure if it was ramakrishna dev he said the difference between man and god is such that if man makes one mistake another man will look only at that but you know if he does one thing good god will look at that out of say 99 mistakes and one and i feel one can learn quite a lot by that change in attitude yeah it is the attitude which is the main thing yeah when you look at something good and you're grateful for that yeah absolutely that's and crucial i think my mom would tell me this often that to every mother her child is the most beautiful so you know i remember it when i see someone and it may be difficult and maybe everyone is criticizing them for what they have done or not done but to that one's mother true. it is true yeah so that advice has yeah. saved me yeah. of a lot of trouble <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh. yes that's so true and then one other bit gautam which i feel would be very unique from your perspective is that you've met so many masters pseudo masters and so many people on the path then there is this tendency that when one goes to a group or new gathering or a new they want to sort of convert you and pull you in i'm yes. sure you've experienced a lot many of that many times many times yes 
So, you know, how do you sort of put your boundaries there? See, I tend to have a more benevolent approach to this that, you know, because of their love for their master and teaching, they want to share the master and the teaching with others. Yeah. So sometimes they tend to be pushy, yeah. you know, and uh, people don't like to be pushed, you see. So with me, of course, because I'm not someone who would really react to the pushiness, but just brush it aside, it's okay. But uh, it is also, uh, I think, uh, something to be looked at for these devotees themselves. You know, this need to bring others into the fold means not to accept that everyone is on their journey home, everyone has the master destined for them, and if that master happens to be your master, they will come in. You see, that is why even someone like Satya Sai Baba, I remember a book in which he is berating his main people that please don't go about canvassing to get people for my talk because they will come if they are destined to, God knows best. You know, all it needs is an announcement, that's it. You don't have to go out on the streets and coerce people to come, which is happening a lot. That is happening a lot, unfortunately. But see, I think Ramakrishna said something so beautiful that when the flower blooms, the bees come. Nothing has to be done. It's as simple as that. So it is a very big, and it's not only a big learning curve for the devotees who are doing this, but you see, it is something which one has to learn from because you cannot force the hand of destiny. Yes. If you have been impacted by your own master, that spontaneous feeling is there to share the master with others. But beyond a point, if you ask me, that is violence, because you are trying to shape the hand of destiny. You have to trust that if the master's teaching is to reach out, it will reach out. Whether or not you do that extra effort is really not relevant. Do what you can to share the teaching, but not to convert people to the teaching. You know, many times, you know, I've been offered mantra diksha, I've been offered uh, various things, or messages from the afterlife have come and said that now actually your master is so and so, it will unfold in due course. But be where your feet are right now. That is the biggest lesson. It's quite funny, but yet it does show the love they have for the master and the teaching yeah. so that cannot be discounted. And I have enjoyed masters who are light-hearted and are humorous. I think those are great qualities. Yeah. Humor, yeah. you know, that seriousness should not be there. Yeah. Like I remember reading Meher Baba, what he would do, he was very naughty. Yes. So when they were going by train, he would tell one devotee that, oh, I don't want the wind coming and you put the window down. And that devotee would put the window down and then when he wasn't looking, he would tell the other devotee, you put that window up, I want the wind. And so then they would get into a fight, Baba wants this, Baba wants this, they are fighting with each other and he would have a laugh, you know. Yeah. That was quite funny. Yeah. Or when uh, it was a very crowded train, and they were coming to a crowded platform where like hundreds of people were wanting to get onto the train. So they asked Baba, what do we do? You know, it will be too crowded here. So he said, don't worry, just get me a white chadar. So what they did was when the train approached the station, Baba lay down there 
and they put the chadar on him and started wailing and crying so nobody got onto that bogey <laughs> no they were shit scared so and then the train left and they happily then enjoyed the rest of the time to themselves i think it's such fun you know this lightheartedness that for me is a big sign humor is actually very important i think the master they would be exempt from any karmic <laughs> replications but other people if they try and do that yeah don't don't try that at home yeah <laughs> so that's yeah. i mean i i do enjoy good humor also because life is already so serious you know someone who's light hearted a master who's able to see the lighter side of life it's it's a beautiful aspect to be exposed to this series of conversations could actually be a long one because there's so many aspects know, of your work life yeah, and yeah. the spiritual path yeah. that you know we would probe in yes. so i hope in time we can continue this series i hope so too the journeys yes. on the office desk let's yes, call yes. it that yeah sure yeah and uh, how i know a few since have spent more than 10 years with you there are a few incidents i have seen you through mm. and uh, you know i would also want to share sure, my sure. Uh, perception of that and that's how you know i i saw you as my teacher like right from the beginning so mm-hmm. i feel that will be another dimension of this series yes i would love to do this yeah, yeah especially that topic of the the very sad terrorist incident that had happened yes. right behind your home yes yes and uh, what had happened uh, i knew about it much later right but we had spoken that morning okay and uh, you witnessed all of that but you know you were absolutely steady right. there was no wavering and that for me was a turning point in just seeing that how the teaching is being lived in an, it could not be more extreme than this right right yeah so i would want to probe sure, into this sure. in yeah, the series yeah, yeah. thank you gautam sure. for your time thank you